We're going to get going tonight, and uh, we're going to continue working through the feasts, working through the festivals. Um, tonight we come to the Feast of Trumpets. Um, we've made a turn, if you will, in, in these feasts because the first uh, four that we had discussed, they were considered the spring festivals. Now we have uh, made it all the way to the fall festivals. And the Feast of Trumpets is the first one that comes in the fall festivals. And at the top of your page there, I've, I've kind of worked through the, the dates of which they occur. You see Passover there, first month, 14th day. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was the following day. The Feast of First Fruits was the day after Passover, or the first day of the week. And then Pentecost was 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. So we have worked through those four. Um, we talked about the Passover how Jesus was the Passover lamb and his blood was applied. And, and we, uh, one of the greatest things that we could take away from that was that the lamb was examined and the lamb was declared perfect and holy. And because the lamb was declared holy, then the blood that is uh, covering those who would believe in that blood, even though they weren't holy, they were counted holy because the lamb that was examined was holy. And what a great picture of justification and the righteousness of Christ being imputed to us. So and then we turn to the Feast of Unleavened Bread and how uh, the unleavened bread was a, a, a sign and a representation of sinlessness. And we know Christ was sinless, His perfect body on the cross, but uh, that also was a call for the children of Israel to rid their houses of, unleavened, or of leaven, which represented sin. And, and this was a call for uh, sanctification, which we know but. By the death of Christ and His work, um, His people are considered holy, even though they are not. Simul Eustace at Peccator is simultaneously just and simultaneously sinner. It's a call for continued sanctification in our life because of His sinless, perfect body that was broken on the cross to bring those things to pass in the life of His people. And we went to the day or the feast of first fruits. We talked about how that that was the the Sunday there, the uh, resurrection morning, and that that was to be a representation of the first fruits of the barley harvest. And as Christ was the first uh, fruits to be resurrected, uh, this this resurrection in an earthly body or a a body, a physical body, uh, that that would be the first fruits of all those who would believe. And as Christ was resurrected from the grave, so would we. That's our living hope that we have. And and that's the Feast of first fruits that we have the promise of resurrection because He was the first fruits to be raised from the dead in that manner. And then from the end of that um, Feast of first fruits, we counted 50 days. This is where we get the term Pentecost. That's 50. Um, and 50 days would have been the next feast, which would have been the bringing in of the wheat harvest. And the wheat or the first fruits of the wheat harvest, we talked about that last time we met how that is consideration of the wheat, and the wheat is the children of God. We see that in the parable in Matthew 13, that there's the wheat and there's the tares, and let them both grow to the end of the age, and then the wheat will be gathered into the barn, and um, the tares will be burned. So we said that the, the, the church, the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, um, began there on the day of Pentecost. And as he was bringing in the wheat harvest, we saw that they had to bring in two different uh, leaven breads there, two different loaves. Leaven is how we are in our sinful state before Christ. And that's the church is coming to him uh, on the day of Pentecost. And the, the 3,000 that are saved there, those are leavened breads, if you will, that they are coming in their sinful state. Um, and those that are being saved on that day are the first fruits of the wheat harvest. 
because the wheat harvest is all those who would believe um, until the last day. And those people who were saved at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the 3,000, they were the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And if you're a Christian, you're in that wheat harvest as well. The significance of the two loaves of bread there, the two uh, representation, uh, is the Jew and the Gentile, both able to come to Christ. We paralleled that with the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, how the first feeding was for the Jew. We went through all that detail. We won't do it again. And how the 4,000, that second feeding was primarily for the Gentile. And we see that in relation to how many basketfuls of bread were left. So that's kind of where we're at. Everything has been sequential. Passover, unle uh, unleavened bread. Uh, then we have, I'm sorry, first fruits, and then Pentecost. And now we come to the first fall festival, which is the Feast of Trumpets. And this one, if, if you stop just for a second and you begin to think about where this may end up going, you could probably maybe start to guess where you may have heard reference to trumpets and how this may be fulfilled in Christ. So let's see what it says. Let's see if your guess is what it really is. And let's see if we can unpack some truth in this feast. So Leviticus 23 is where we'll start I'll have you find that. We'll start in verse 23. I want to draw your attention to something really quickly. As we talked about what we talked about the previous weeks, and how they are to bring in these sacrifices and for the harvest and different things. But in, in verse 22, I want to draw your attention to something there. It's talking about as they reap the harvest of the land, it talks about leaving some on the corners. Why? You're to leave them for the needy and the alien. You see that word alien there. And anytime you see the word alien, sojourner, anything like that in the Old Testament, your ears ought to perk up because that's a reference to the mystery of the gospel. That is a reference to the grafting into the Gentiles. So when you see this harvest and they're saying, hey, listen, leave some for the alien because they're going to partake of this as well. That's speaking of you, speaking of me, who are Gentiles, who've been uh, given this gracious gift of <coughs> grafting in into the family of God. All right. So with that being said, there's not a lot of verses on the Feast of Trumpets. Of the ones we've read, this is going to be the, the least, and you're going to see this, and we're going to have to go to a few other places to really bring this picture together. But, hey, who's to say there's not more to the story, huh? Let's read this in Leviticus 23, verse 23 through 25. It says, Again the Lord said, or spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first of the month, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation, you shall not do any laborious work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. As quickly as it came, it leaves. There's the Feast of Trumpets in Leviticus 23 because you'll see the next feast is there. It's the Day of Atonement. This feast is going to occur in the seventh month, and it's going to occur on the first day. So now, where's the other passage that we have to speak more about this feast of trumpets. We find this in Numbers 29. We got to jump over another book. 
In the title over mine, chapter 29, or the heading says Offerings of the Seventh Month, which is where we're at. Does anybody know the significance of seven in the Bible? We, we see it as a term of completion or fulfillment or fullness. We talked about that in the feeding of the 4,000, where that's a Gentile representation, and he asks how many basketfuls are left. And there were seven. Representation that it would be the fullness of the harvest, including the Jew and the Gentile. It's completion and it's fulfillment and it's uh, the fullness there, and that's going to come back into this study tonight as we're in the seventh month. But listen to what Numbers 29 says, and we're going to pick this up in verse 1, and we're going to journey all the way down to verse 6. It says, Now in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no laborious work. It will be to you a day for blowing trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a soothing aroma to the Lord, one bull, one ram, and seven male lambs, one year old, without defect. Also their grain offering, fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Offer one male goat for a sin offering to make atonement for you. Beside the burnt offering of the new moon and its grain offering and the continual burnt offerings and its grain offering and the drink offerings according to the ordinance for a soothing aroma an offering by fire to the Lord. There's a lot of stuff that's going on here. Not only do we have this, uh, this scene here of burnt offerings and grain offerings and drink offerings and these sacrifices that are going on, the thing that really separates this feast, the, the, the attention gets shifted to the blowing of the trumpets. And what's the significance of that? And, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So uh, I don't ever want to get into a study without praying. So if we could, let's just pray before we get started. Father, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you for all these people that have come. Lord, it's so good to see people that are hungry for your word, God, that they'll come in the middle of the week, not to gather in a church building, but to gather in a house with a hunger and a desire for your word, Lord. And I ask that, as your word says, that when we hunger and seek after the things of God and your righteousness, Lord, that we will be filled, we will... We will have those things, and Lord, I, I pray that you would honor the Lord, the, the desire and the hunger for your word that is here tonight. Lord, we can't even start to grasp this in our own way and by our natural man. Lord, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, would move tonight. Open our eyes. Give us understanding so we could see the Feast of Trumpets more clearly than we ever have, and then we can see that it's pointing to you. Lord, we ask these things in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we see this, and something interesting here, that uh, in ancient Israel a, a while back, and even today, that the, the Jewish people celebrate two new years, if you will. One is a religious new year, and one is a civil new year. The religious year begins at Passover, or in that first month, that known as Abib. What you've just seen here, that now Jews today and in ancient Israel, they uh, have deemed that the first day of the seventh month be their civil new year. 
So as we come to this place, that to, to the Jews today, they're going to see this as a new year. They're going to look back in the old, and they're going to look ahead to the future. And what is also going to happen on this day is that the most sacred day to all the Jews is going to be just a few days away. This Feast of Trumpets is going to really uh, get their minds starting to look also not to this feast alone, but to what's right around the corner. And the next feast that's coming is going to be on the 10th of the seventh month, and it's going to be the Day of Atonement, where the atonement for sin is made, the cleansing of the temple, and the serious nature that that brings. And we find that in Leviticus 16. We've, we've been there several times in the last several months. But the, the, the children of Israel here, the Jews, or they are, they are, their minds are beginning to uh, look to these days. Uh, it's been a little bit of time that have passed since Pentecost. Now they've set their minds here, not only to the Feast of Trumpets, but what is also to come in the coming days. And, and we look at this feast. There are some things that um, we're to see here, and, and, and it's to be celebrated on the new moon. We see that there are to be animal and grain sacrifices. There's to be no work done. And the trumpets are to be blown as a call and a memorial to God and remember God. And, and we're going to dive into that here in just a second. You see, this feast was marked by the blowing of trumpets throughout the day. And it was a, con a call for the congregation of Israel to assemble and remember God. And we, we see this, and we'll get to it here in a minute, but I just want to read it here on, that, on your uh, last point there in the Feast of Trumpets, the, the starting section there. It says, the Israelites, upon hearing the trumpets to assemble, would, it would be a reminder of the trumpet call to assemble at Mount Sinai. We're going to talk about this. If there was a trumpet call that they heard and changed their life. It was the trumpet call to assemble at Mount Sinai. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But you can picture these people. That, that as they would hear this trumpet and they would be doing all these feasts throughout the day, that in the back of their mind they would remember which is what it's called to do, and you, were, you would just stop and think about that trumpet call and the stories behind it and, and what the Word had said in regard to Mount Sinai and what they experienced that day. You're going to see that trumpets have some different effects, and they were used for different things in the Bible. One of those reasons that a trumpet was used was a gathering of a congregation, a gathering of an assembly of people. And when you hear the Feast of Trumpets here on this day, the people of Israel would gather and they would start to celebrate this feast. So they start to hear this and they look back to the, where the covenant, the old covenant was made and they look to the promises that were made. And this was the time where God had, had revealed himself and had spoken to them. And this, this feast that has, they're commanded to do, this feast is even going to be done throughout the Old Testament history in the, in the ancient Israel that when God wasn't even speaking to them. Or new revelations, if you will. You, there's a period of silence in between the Testaments, and they were still to call to this feast. And, and, and there's times where maybe there wasn't a new word, and th th their mind would go back to Mount Sinai and think and just hope that maybe when they heard these trumpets that it would be uh, uh, the, the call of God, that He would uh, meet with them again and to speak to them and, and to maybe come and bring their rescue from the world. You see, this trumpet is a look back, but it's also a look forward to us and to them as well because we're going to get into that, but here's the scene. What a day it is. Not only are these Sacrifices being made, but throughout the land you would hear the trumpets being sounded. Can you imagine that? What a sound it would have been. 
Well, let's talk about those trumpets because this isn't just a, this isn't just a feast to blow some trumpets. We know because we didn't read this to start with and maybe I'll go there. You, you can if you want, but in Colossians chapter 2, let us constantly remind ourselves that these feasts are not just feasts that stand alone. These feasts are pointing to Christ. These feasts have a greater fulfillment than just a bunch of people gathering and blowing some trumpets. They have to be pointing to Christ. And we see that very clearly in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, where it says, Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to a food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. The substance belongs to Christ. We've talked about this several times. Let it never be out of our minds that, that all these feasts, they're just shadows. That's all they are. They're shadows because the substance of these feasts that we've talked about and the substance of the Feast of Trumpets is fulfilled in Christ. That's the bottom line. This is more than just blowing trumpets. It's pointing to Christ. So let's look at trumpets. Turn with me, if you will, to Numbers chapter 10. This is a passage of Scripture, There's some verses here, that tells us some, uh, some uses of trumpets in the Bible. In Numbers chapter 10, we're going to read verse 1 down to verse 10, and we're going to listen to some of the reasons. Maybe you can pick them up. Maybe you can hear them of what the trumpets were used for. And this is not an exhaustive list, but listen to what it says. It says, The Lord spoke further to Moses, saying, Make yourselves two trumpets of silver. Of hammered work you shall make them, and you shall use them for a summoning the congregation and for having the camps set out. Now, let's just stop for a second. One of the purposes that's going to come back that we have to know, that when they used these trumpets, one of the reasons they used it, you just read it in the first verse, was to summon the congregation. It was the summoning of the people. It was for the people of Israel to gather. That's what he says. Wherever they would be, whatever they were doing when they heard uh, this trumpet, and they had different ways that the trumpet blast would go to mean different things, almost like Morse code to trumpets. But one of the calls and the uses of the trumpets was a call of the assembly of Israel. Now just stop for a second. You see where this is going. It's a call for Israel to gather. It's a call for them to assemble. That's one thing it did on the Feast of Trumpets when they heard this. Their ears would rise. They would come to attention and they would assemble for this feast. The next thing you see there, it says, not only for summoning the congregation and for having the camps set out as they were going to go through the wilderness journey, they would not always be in the same spot. They would be moving from place to place. And, and these trumpets were also used for the people to set out to a new place, to a new location. Not only would it be a call to gather, it would be a call to go to a new place and to, to camp at a different place where the Spirit of Yahweh would lead them. Sounded pretty good already, doesn't it? It's a call to assemble. It's a call to a new place. He goes on to say... And, 
Verse 3, when, when both are blown, all the congregation shall gather themselves to you at the doorway of the tent of meeting. That's the tabernacle. That's where the presence of Yahweh dwells. Yet if only one is blown, then the leaders, the heads of the divisions of Israel shall assemble before you. But when you blow an alarm, the camps that are pitched on the east side shall set out. When you blow an alarm the second time, the camps that are pitched on the south side shall set out, and an alarm is to be blown for them to set out. See, it's, you got to know what you're listening for. Like, can you imagine the east side taking off and the west side supposed to be going or vice versa? You got to know, you got to listen, you got to understand which one is which. When convening the assembly, however, you shall blow without sounding an alarm. So not only is it a call of the congregation, not only is it a call to set out of the camps, but it's also an alarm. The priestly sons of Aaron, verse 8, moreover, shall blow the trumpets, and this shall be for you a perpetual statute throughout your generations. When you go to war in your land against the adversary who attacks you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and that you may be remembered before the Lord your God and be saved from your enemies. So now we have another purpose that's coming. When the war is about to take place, when there's about to be a battle, the trumpet will sound. It just keeps getting better. It's preaching itself. We don't have to summarize this thing. It's just doing it. So we see, we see examples of this, that when they were to go out in battle and they would, the trumpet would sound, what would it be? It would be a call for them to remember that the battle they were going to, to be a partaker of, that God was with them, and in the end, He would be the one who would ultimately give them victory. You see, this is what's going on with the trumpets. There's multiple folds of this. There are multiple things that are happening with trumpets. And the goal of this is the end of the night that when we come and we put a shiny bow at the end and we pull it all together, we're going to come back to these things and the purpose of the trumpets. And we're going to see what happens on the last day. This is what this is pointing to. It's pointing to the last day, the final trumpet of God. And we're going to see how all these things that it was used for is pulled to that day because it's fulfilled in Christ. Verse 10, it says, Also in the day of your gladness and in the, your appointed feast and on the first days of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, and they shall be as a reminder of you before the Lord, I am the Lord your God. So not only these trumpets all the things we've previously said, setting out of the camp, a sound of an alarm, going into battle, summoning of the congregation. When they heard these trumpets, it would also be a call to remember that God was their God. What a beautiful 10 verses that is. Who knew that you could just listen to a bunch of trumpets, how they're made and how the camps are being set up. And, and it's pointing to Christ because all those purposes are going to come back to you and me who are believers on that last day. But let's talk about some examples of these trumpets. And when it talks about being a remembrance, I'm going to go back to the, the, the place where the power, the holiness of God was manifested to the children of Israel. And we find that in Exodus 19. Some of the most powerful uh, verses in the Bible are in Exodus 19 and 20. It, it's an amazing scene here that God is coming to them on Mount Sinai. And the holiness of God is on full display. The power of God is on full display. And we see this in Exodus 19. 
What I want to, let's start here. We won't read the whole chapter. Forgive me for that, but here's what it says. Let's start in verse 12. It says, You shall set bounds for the people around, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch the border of it. For whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. I've mentioned this in the past, but if it's okay, I'd just like to take a few seconds to just unpack that verse. Because Mount Sinai points to what? It's a representation of the law of God. That's what it represents. Now, the requirement for all of us to enter heaven is what? Keeping that absolutely perfect. And that's the only way we could ascend that mountain and enter into His glory If it was by our own doing, then we would have to live it perfectly and ascend that mountain of works, which is by Mount Sinai, to come into His presence. But we've got a problem because Romans clearly tells us that everyone who tries to earn their way and their own righteousness, every human being that has ever came onto planet Earth stands condemned under the law. You could never climb that mountain. He says, not only are you (laughs) condemned by that mountain, but you can't even say anything in response. Your mouth is held in absolute silence because you have no rebuttal. What could you say? We've talked about this before, but how many times in our lives have we been so arrogant to think that we could earn our way to heaven? Not only that, how many times have we been so arrogant to think that not only after Christ saves us, it's by grace until we're saved, and then we're saved by grace, and then as soon as we get saved, it automatically switches to works, and you better do enough or he's going to rip it out of your hands. How arrogant have we been to think that we could ever do enough works or enough good to satisfy the perfect, holy God. You can't do that. That's why... The reason that we will all get to heaven is not because we can do enough on our own, but because of His righteousness is imputed to us, and we're judged on His righteousness. You you want to mess somebody up? Here's what you do. Especially everybody. Listen, if they think that you believe in the doctrines of grace and reformed theology, here's how you mess somebody up. You go, you say this: I believe you're saved by works, and just stop and don't say anything else. And they're gonna look at you like you've lost your mind. Because you're like, wait a minute, you told me it's by faith alone. Yes, it is. We're saved by works. Here's the kicker, though. Not our works. We're saved by the works of Christ. Those perfect works that he lived for 33 and a half years, that's the work to which we're saved because it's imputed to us. But do you see the picture here? How arrogant is us to think we can earn salvation how arrogant is enough to think that in our own works we can keep salvation because if it were up to you and up to me, there's not one person here or in this world that would ever be able to keep it. We've labored this point. I'll say it again. As a Christian, you're supposed to grow in sanctification. You're supposed to grow in the holiness of God. However, I always come back to this verse when he says in Matthew, he's asked, what is the greatest command? You know what he says at that point? To love the Lord God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Have you done that today? The greatest command is to love Him with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. But other than that, you failed. Have you done that today? Have you done that for 10 minutes in your life, ever? 
and you think you could keep it. How arrogant we are and how we don't know the holiness of God. But this is what the picture of this is. He's saying, how dare a human being to think they can take one step on Mount Sinai with my power, my glory there. This represents me. This represents my perfect law. How dare you think you can stand on it in all my glory? He says, you take a step foot on this mountain, you're going to die. He says, I'll take it a step farther. If an animal steps on this mountain, one paw, one hoof steps on this mountain, it dies too. And if you go try to retrieve it, you're going to die too. Do you see the holiness of God? To think that you and I, outside of the grace and the mercy and the righteousness of God given to us, that we could ever stand before this holy God? No way. This is the scene on Mount Sinai. And we're going to see this, that there is lightning and thunder, and this is the power of God. Listen to what he goes on to say. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So now we have a trumpet. We have a horn that's being sounded. And do you remember what one of the examples and the uses of the trumpet was? It was a call of Israel to assemble. They are in the camp. They are down at the base. And he says, when you hear that trumpet, all of Israel, you come to the mountain. I'm gathering Israel. I'm gathering the people into the presence of God. It came about by that sound of that horn. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. He said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about on the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound. There it is. There's the trumpet. So that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. The trumpet sounds. It's a call to assemble and here comes Israel. And they're brought to the mountain. They're brought to God at this time by this trumpet. And when they hear the Feast of Trumpets, in the later days after this, in the future, as it's set up and established, they would hear that trumpet. And their mind would have to go back to this day, to where he called his people to himself and established the covenant, the old covenant, and and established the promises of it. He goes on to say, Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. When the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him with thunder. And he goes on to tell us this. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up, and the the Lord spoke to Moses, Go down, warn the people, so that they do not break through to the Lord to gaze, and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, or else the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to the mountain, for you have warned us. Set a bounds about the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Go down and come up again. And you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, or he will break forth upon them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. 
Do you see the scene? Smoke and lightning and thunder and no one except for Moses that had been uh, uh, called up to there and the people that he had called up to have this fellowship with him. You couldn't come on this mountain. The power and the glory of God, but the, the trumpet sound had, had, had taken place and it was a call for them to assemble at the base. And then in chapter 20 leading right into that, in this scene we have the Ten Commandments. And I'm going to draw your attention after he gives the Ten Commandments. Verse 18. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning, flashes, and here we have another reference, and the sound of the trumpet in the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Do you know what you see right there? You see the fear and the reverence and the awe of God. Do you know what you don't see in churches across the world today? The fear and the reverence and the awe of God. Because we don't know who God is. Because we just don't know. We don't read. We don't understand. We don't have a desire. But once you understand who He is and start to grow in that undertaking, you will fear Him and bring more reverence to Him. It says, Then they said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us or we will die. We can't handle this. This is too... This is too transcendent. This is the power of God. Don't. You have to speak to us, Moses. We can't handle another word. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, but for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of Him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. You see, once you know who the holiness of God is, like we talked about on Sunday, your desire to sin grows less and less. But do you see... This is one example of the call of the people of Israel to assemble into the presence of God on that mountain, or at the base of the mountain, Sinai. This is one, the first example, and this is what the children of Israel would know and think in their mind when they heard it. The Feast of Trumpets and those trumpets that were blasting, this would be a remembrance of those things. We go on to see also that there's another example of, tr- uh, of a trumpet being sounded and I can tell you that if you remember that we did this type and shadow when we were, yes, in the closest thing to perfection on this planet, when we were in Mackey's. We had a study there and we were in, um, we were going through Moses and how uh, he started leading them into the wilderness and then how uh, Joshua took them in and how that represents one sin against the law. Uh, You can't enter heaven, but Joshua, who represents Christ, comes and he takes them into the promised land. And we talked about how in the end, uh, the the, the scene of Jericho and the walls falling are not a scene about how speak to the mountains in your life or the walls in your life and they'll come falling down. Do you have walls in your life? If you do, speak to them. And then you're going to wake up tomorrow. And the same walls are going to be there, and then you're going to doubt God, and then you're going to wonder, where's your faith? That's not what this text is about. But when we don't teach it and we don't preach it right, we hurt people and we deceive people and we become the star of the story, and we're not. I believe that the walls of Jericho falling are representation of Christ when He comes in His kingdom. And he destroys the kingdom of this world, and he begins to rule and reign. And we'll read this in a little bit, but think about this story in Joshua chapter 6. This is the conquest of Jericho. And we know that <clears throat> excuse me, Jericho was the first place, the first occupied place that the children of Israel came to when they entered the promised land. 
and we know they have very specific instructions. They were to march around the walls of this city. <clears throat> Look in verse 6. Or actually, let's start in verse 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut. Because of the sons of Israel, no one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, uh, circling the city once. You shall do it for six days. Also, seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns. There it is. We know that we're in the right place because there's a mention of trumpets. Before the ark, very important there. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people uh, shall shout with a great shout, and, all the, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests carry the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of God. And he's going to go through this, and just for time's sake, we're going to see what is going to take place. You know, they march around with these things uh, one time each day for the six days, but on the seventh day, something is different. We have here a number, again, seven. This Feast of Trumpets is going to take place in the seventh month, and now we have this being on the, the seventh trip around. Verse 15, then on the seventh day, they arose early. So for six days, they're to march around it. Trumpet, they got it all, but just march around it. But something is different on the seventh day. It says on the seventh day, they rose up early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only that, that day, they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. You see what's happening here? This is the cry of war. This is the trumpet that will sound before that they, that they are going to overtake the, the kingdoms of this world. They're going to take this city. That's the first city they find in the promised land. And as this is going to point to the end as well. But you see it's triggered. It's started by the priest blowing the trumpets. It says, shout for the Lord has given you the city. The city shall be under the ban and it and all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who were with her in the house shall live. But she hid them because she hid the messengers whom we sent. This is interesting that this is the promised land promised to the Jews, to the people of Israel. And there's a mention of this woman who happens to be in that promised land. And do you know who she was? She was a Gentile. You see, even there, you see the mystery of the gospel. So when we read this and we say, well, there's Rahab. What's she doing there? She was a harlot. But you can thank God that she's there. Because as this represents coming into the promised land one day for us, the fact that Rahab's there is the reason that we can have hope. Because if that sinful Gentile woman can be there, then there's hope for me. And if you remember how she was, uh, how it was remembered of her that they said, listen, when we come to destroy this place, her town, you remember that? That she was to put a scarlet rope down from her window 
And when they saw that scarlet hanging from the window, they would know that the promise was true and they would not kill her or her family. Does that sound familiar to anybody at all? There's something scarlet, not on a window, but on a door. And as death passed by, they saw the red on the door and they remembered the promise and they were saved. And now we have Rahab who's got the scarlet hanging from her window. It's a sign of the promise. We promise you'll make it. Because the promises of God are final. They're irrevocable. They are not given and then taken away. That's why He doesn't give you eternal life and then take it away. He doesn't promise you that you'll never hunger and then make you hunger. It is a final thing that He gives us. And that was the promise given to Rahab. Now this represents the coming into the promised land. And she's there. The Gentiles are there because of the grace of God. It's an amazing story that you see here. It says, But as for you, keep yourselves from the things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. So there's certain they can't take things when they go in there. Certain things, there's parameters that have been set up by God. Somebody does take something and it causes them a battle in the next chapter. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go to the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the priests blew the trumpets. Now listen. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with great joy and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. Here's what I want you to remember of this as we come also to the end that I believe this represents Christ coming to take the kingdoms of the world one day. And just ponder in the back of your mind. There were seven trumpets here. Just ponder that. When Jericho fell, there were seven trumpets. How many trumpets are mentioned in Revelation? There's seven. And on the seventh one, you know what happens? He comes. The beauty of it is there. What's also interesting is that when Christ comes back and the trumpet of God is blown, how is it destroyed? By physical sword? By the word of his mouth. You see? So here we have Jericho, which is representing... They've been, they've been rescued out of slavery. They've journeyed through the wilderness. They've come to the promised land. And, and we will come to the promised land one day. And the promised land that we are promised is here on earth. But it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And we look around and we see evil. And we see the people that are living on our earth. They're living in our home. Even though we're exiles, they're on our earth. It's going to be a new earth. But they're here. Just as these people were in the promised land that was promised to Israel. And before the children of Israel could take that land... It had to be destroyed. Seven trumpets, the sound of the trumpet, the sound of the voices is what caused it to fall, which is what we're going to see when we come to the end in Christ's return. It's truly a remarkable story that's going on here. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep, and donkey with the edge of the sword. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of here as you have sworn to her. 
So the young men who were spies went and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all of her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it. What's interesting there, the walls came by just the words and the sound of the trumpet. And it says the city was destroyed by fire on the last day. 2 Peter 3 tells us that the earth is being reserved one day for with what? With fire. Another element of this that shows you that it's pointing to, it's a type and shadow pointing to the coming of Christ. The city was burned with fire and all that was in it, only the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron, they put into the treasure of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot in her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. And she lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she had hid the messengers from whom Joshua sent to spot Jericho. So we see the trumpet is what brought the walls crashing down. It is what started the victory there that day. So not only did we see in Exodus, it was a call to assemble. Now we hear in this story, it's a call prior to war and to destruction to root out the enemy. We also see the same thing in Gideon. Story, y'all know that story. The 300 versus the mighty army, 135,000 versus 300. Gideon, there's a type and shadow there as well. We won't do that right now. But at the end of that, what is being blown? The trumpets are being blown. The, the, the earthenware is being shattered and the light is shining through. And how did they have the victory on that day? They blew the trumpet first. And then the earthenware, the vessels were broken. Read Psalm 2 for that, to what he's going to do to the earthenware. He's going to crush them. Talking about the people that are not his. And then you have this glorious light. See, going into the story of Gideon, the trumpet sounded, the vessels were broken, the light shined. And it says that it sent the enemy into chaos. And it said they didn't even have to do anything because they, they were in this valley. The enemy, 135,000, were in a valley, and it's the middle of the night, and, and they hear this stuff going on, and they hear the trumpet sounding, and it's an alarm. And, and then they, they see the light shining, and they think that the enemy's all around them, and they start to move every which way. And it says they're, they're running into each other's swords, and they're killing themselves, and they're fighting against each other. Again, just by the word, sword of the Lord and of Gideon, the word and the trumpet is what brought the victory. You see the, sim, the sim, symbolism that's happening, this imagery that's going on in the Old Testament? It's a call to assemble. It's a, it's, a, it's a cry before the victory. It's a call for war. We also see another example of this in 2 Chronicles 13. You can read it. Uh, it's a story of a, the king of Judah there in battle against Israel. And, uh, the battle is won when he sounds the trumpet. That's in 2 Chronicles chapter 13. And the list could go on and on and on. But you see this, this trumpet talk, this trumpet language, it also is for us to look back to the promises of God. What did he say? He says, do not be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Why? You believe in God, you believe also in me. Paraphrase this. He says, listen, I'm going away. I've got a lot of rooms in my father's house. I'm going to go away. And if I go away, here's my promise. 
I'm going to come back and get you. And you see, it's a call. One day of all of Israel to assemble. What a day that will be. Think about the base of that mountain at Mount Sinai. All of Israel assembled. However, this will be different. This won't just be ethnic Israel. It will be spiritual Israel that one day that will have a call to attention. And no matter where they're at on this planet, when that trumpet blows, the assembly will take place. And all of Israel, spiritual Israel, will come to the presence of God one day to be with Him forever. We see the same language of trumpets. Now let's look to the future as where this final, ultimate fulfillment of this feast finds its resting place. Let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Chapter 15, we've already been there in the Feast of First Fruits, if you remember that. How Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection. It says that as we are resurrected on the last day, we'll each go in our order. Christ the first fruits first. And then all that, or after that, will rise with him as well. But we're going to go to chapter 15, verse 50. And we're going to talk about the mystery of the resurrection. You remember, he's the first fruits of resurrection, so this is guaranteed to all those who are his people that we will rise to on the day of resurrection. And as we start to think about this day, I want you to hear and listen really closely if there's any reference to trumpets or a trumpet. Let's see if we can find that in here. It says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. We talked about this Sunday night. The kingdom of God that is to come, flesh and blood can't enter there. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. That means die in the flesh, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come up about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may see that same sentence there. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may find that in Romans chapter 7 as Paul is wrestling between the two natures. He says, oh, what a wretched man I am. Who will save me from this body? Thanks be to God. That's what he quotes there. Or he says the same thing. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the response to this, that the trumpet will sound, that we will be raised one day to be with the Lord? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain 
in the Lord. So we have one reference here to the last day with that final trumpet. However, that's not the only reference in the New Testament. We will flip a few pages towards the back of the book, uh, and it will be 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 13, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. Now, where have you heard shout at? You heard that around the walls of Jericho as he took the kingdoms of this world in the promised land. Where else did you hear the word shout at? The story of Gideon. They shouted and they blew the trumpets and they had the victory. And it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord again. What's the response to this? Therefore, comfort one another with these words. But we're not done. I know where y'all want to go. And we'll go there. Let's just go there. You know where we're going. Let's go to Revelation. Either that to the snack tray. I don't know which one. <laughs> Now, turn with me. I'm not going to tell you. I want you to listen real quick. <laughs> what have we talked about so far? If you remember, we talked about Jericho. Set free from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. After the Passover, after the blood, here we've been rescued, we've been set free. That represents our salvation. And now we, we go through the, the, the baptism, we go through Christ, we're immersed in Christ. That's why they cross the Red Sea. Then we go into this wilderness journey. Living in tents. We've talked about that in the Feast of Booths. And they journey and they journey and they journey. And Moses has led them. But Moses comes to this one point in his life where he is told he can't enter the kingdom of, or the, the promised land. He's not going to do it. And why? Because he sinned once. He disobeyed God in striking of the rock. And yes, do you know what statement that causes us to rise up in our heart and say? He led them for that. That's not fair. How could he? How? You're going to tell me one, he messed up one time, he sinned once, and you're not going to let him enter the, the promised land physically on earth. He's in the promised land now. Don't you worry about that. Or he's in the, the, the holding place. He's, he's not in the eternal state yet. How many times have you ever read that before and said, that's not fair? How, that's, how can you do that? Do you remember Mount Sinai? What did Moses, what was given to Moses? The law of God. Moses is the representation of the law of God. And you know what happens if you are going by the law and you commit one sin? By one sin, you're guilty of them all and you have no place in the promised land of heaven. So Moses, that whole thing is shadowing. 
that if you want to live by the Mosaic law, if you want to try to live and that be your entrance into heaven, you mess up once and you see what happens. Just like Moses, that is perfectly fair because one sin against a holy God is worth eternal damnation. We don't know who God is. That's more than fair that he didn't get to go. That's more than fair. But now Joshua, who represents Christ, he leads them into the promised land. Here's Jericho. They're in the promised land. They've been promised this new land after this wilderness journey. However, we got a problem. There are actually people there, and, and there, are, there are ungodly people there, and they're in their home that has been promised. So what has to happen? Those walls have to fall. That city has to be overtaken. And what you see in the story of Jericho is shadowing what is happening on the last day. Seven trumpets. And on the last trumpet, the walls fall. And the shout of the Lord, the walls come crumbling down. Fire comes to the city. And the children of God, children of Israel, enter that place. That's what you've heard in Jericho. Let's go to Revelation chapter 11. Seven trumpets in Jericho. Trumpets at Mount Sinai, trumpets in the story of Gideon, trumpets all around, trumpets in battle, trumpets in the call, trumpets in setting out to a new place. But there will be one final trumpet. Here's what it says in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, now remember when they came into Jericho, it was to... The kingdoms of this world were still there. The kingdoms, the powers of the world, the sin, they were still there. And on this seventh trumpet, look what happens. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. And you see what's going on, the parallels between the trumpet and the shouting in Jericho as they come to this promised land. You see it here, it's happened on the seventh trumpet then, and it's happening on the seventh trumpet now. And the kingdoms of this world have been overtaken by God. He's going to destroy this earth in fire. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and He will reign forever. Let's keep going. And the 24 elders who sat on their thrones before God fell on their faces. And worship God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord, the Almighty who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath has come. And the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, both the small and the great, and the, to destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, we mentioned this when we did Jericho, but let me just say it. Do you remember what was also being marched around those walls? Not just the trumpets, not just the priests. Do you remember? Let me read it. In Joshua. That's exactly right. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark is present when they take Jericho. Trumpets, shouting, the seventh trumpet, the shouting, the Ark is here. He just read that the seventh trumpet, the kingdom of this world, has become the kingdom of God. He's destroyed him and now he's beginning to reign forever and ever. But the story doesn't end there. Look what also there's mention of. In verse 19, 
And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. And the ark of his covenant appeared in the temple. And there were flashings and lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake in a great hailstorm. Do you see that the ark is even mentioned in there as well on the last trumpet? As it parallels beautiful with Jericho. Now, let's look at this. I told you that we would see this parallel all together. Let's go really quickly. One of the purposes of the trumpets was what? A call to gather. Israel, assemble. You know, listen, Coop, and when I say that, I can't stop, and my mind just goes, and all I want to say is, Avengers, assemble. But one day, the trumpet's going to sound, and you know what he's going to say? My children, assemble. They were called to the base of Mount Sinai with that trumpet. It was a call for the, the, the people of Israel to gather when they heard these trumpets in worship and remembrance of God. And one day, that final trump will blow and the assembly will gather. The people of God will gather to Him and they will always be with Him. There's never going to be a greater assemblance of that day than all the people of God gathered with Him in His presence to live with Him in heaven forever. Now listen to this language about an assembly being brought together. He tells us that's who we are as the church in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18 through 24. And again, we have a comparison and a contrast of Mount Sinai representing the law in the Old Covenant and of Zion representing the New Covenant and the New Jerusalem. When you see Zion, that's a reference to Jerusalem. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, it says this. It says, For you have not come to a mountain that can be touched, and to a blazing fire, and to darkness, and gloom, and whirlwind. He's talking about what you read and what we read in Exodus 19. And to the blast of a trumpet, and the sounds of words which sound was so that such who heard begged that no further word would be spoken. For they could not bear the command. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion. Now he's going to contrast this. Into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to myriads of angels. Now listen to this. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood. Oh, yes, we've done this as a type and shadow as well, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Do you see what he's saying? Listen, church, if you're his people. You have gathered. You have been brought to this. You have been brought to this church. You have been brought to this union with Christ. You have been brought to the greatest general assembly that could ever be. It's the church of the firstborn. It's the church of God. And one day, no matter where we are scattered out on this planet, when that trumpet sounds, we will all gather to be with the Lord. You see, the trumpets meant a gathering of the congregation, and one day we will be gathered with him. It also talks that we mentioned that there's proceeding of war. 
when the battle was getting ready to be raged and waged against the people, there would be a sound of a trumpet. Oh, where do we see this at? We see it in Revelation 11 where we were at, that the last trumpet would come and, and he would destroy the kingdoms of this world. But we also see it in Revelation chapter 19. We're getting close to the end. Who knew that one page could do this? This is why, listen, if I have one page, don't get comfortable. Don't think that's... Taylor always tells me, if you've got one page, you are going to be talking a lot. (laughs) We're almost done. Listen to this language. Now remember, a gathering for assembly, the trumpet on the last day. Now the gathering of the assembly and the preceding war that's going to happen. We see this in Revelation 19, verse 11. It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. This is him coming in his reign. You know, one of the other things I didn't mention on here, that when a trumpet would sound, it would be the representation that the king was coming in. Here you see that as well. The the trumpet would sound as the king would ride in. Oh, no more fitting use of a trumpet could be than the announcement of the king of all kings. But you see, this white horse means that he's conquered. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword. Now, think about that. It was the words that brought down the walls of Jericho. It was the words of God that that spoke at Mount Sinai. It was the words that brought victory in Gideon. And now it's the words of God. It says, from his mouth came a sharp sword so that with it he might strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thighs he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There's the trumpet announcing the kingdom coming, the King of all kings coming, that he's coming in victory, and look what he's going to do. He's going to destroy the enemy. He's going to have his vesture dipped in blood. And the wrath of God will be poured out on that day in conjunction with the last trumpet. We also see that this was to set out from camp. When they would hear certain trumpets, it would say, hey, listen, your time here is done. We're going to move to a new location. It would be a time where they would pick up and they would move. Do we need to explain that one? That on that trumpet... We who are exiles, we've been talking about that since we started 1 Peter. Exiles roaming in a home that, not ours, but you know what I mean. It's going to be here on earth, but a new heaven, new earth. But we're exiles because this earth as it sets is not our home. And one day that final trumpet will call. To wage war on those that are ungodly. To gather this congregation and his church and his bride. But it will also be a time to say, listen, we're moving to your new place. We're moving to your new home. A restored heaven and a restored earth will be the future. And that's where we'll be. And it tells us that we are not looking at this world as our hope. We're looking to the home that is in heaven. And really quickly in Hebrews, let me read this. 
in Hebrews 11, verse 16, it says, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared a city for them. There's New Jerusalem. We'll be setting out one day to our new home. And if you remember back at the ending of Numbers 10, I believe it was chapter 10, verse 10, he says that it was to be a remembrance when you hear the trumpets that God is your God. When I read that, my mind automatically went to one passage of Scripture. But this final call, there's been no greater fulfillment that will be fulfilled than on the last day that we're to remember that God is our God and we're His people. That's what they were to be remembering here in the biblical times. But the greatest completion of that, we see that God will be our God, is our God, and will be our God forever, and we will be His people. We find that in Revelation 21. Listen to as I read this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Have you ever cried a tear in this world? Have you ever just been so downcast in this world and you don't think you can take another step? You don't think you can handle another day? That's what we talked about Sunday night, that Peter's telling those exiles, listen, Look to your look towards your home. Look at your inheritance. It's going to be here before you know it. And listen to the promise that one step in will be worth it all because listen, here's what he says, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It will be a place of complete and perfect joy because we're in the presence of the prince of peace and the author of all joy. And there will no longer be any death there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things have passed away. Hold on, that day is coming. You hear it? Do you hear the trumpet, that last call to assemble, that God will wage war and the enemies will be defeated and will be going to our new home? That day is coming. Listen, you can almost hear that trumpet. It says, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Now listen to verse 7. Remember what they had to remember on that trumpet, that God was their God? He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And you know how long you'll know that? Do you know how long you'll remember that, that He is your God when you are in heaven forever and ever and ever? It was supposed to be a perpetual state that you will be in the presence of God. He will be your God and you will be His people. I'm going to read these two verses down at the bottom of your sheet here, reaching back to the Old Testament. Isaiah 27, 12-13. This is a call that God would vindicate His people Israel that was a, it was a real thing, a real fulfillment in that day, but it was also looking forward to the end because a lot of prophecies in the Old Testament are dual. 
which means they have their fulfillment in the near future, but also pointing towards the future as well. And this is one we see in this case. And he's promising that the children of Israel will come back and he will redeem and restore them one day. And listen to what he says. On that day, the Lord will thresh from the flowing stream of the Euphrates River to the brook of Egypt. And you will be gathered up one by one, you sons of Israel. It will come about on that day that a great trumpet will be blown. And those who were perishing in the land of Assyria and who were scattered in the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. There's going to be threshing. There's going to be gathering. There's going to be a trumpet. And they're going to come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain in Jerusalem. That's going to be fulfilled one day. Same trumpet. The trumpet will sound. Gather his people. We'll meet on Mount Zion, the new Jerusalem, and worship him forever. In Joel chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Blow a trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near. See, blow a trumpet, Zion. The day of the Lord is coming. Let everyone tremble. Surely it's near. And as we close, I just want to draw your attention. It's amazing how God works, isn't it? Because when we started First Peter, and we were simultaneously now running these types and shadows, you had no idea what day I'd be on First Peter chapter 4, verse 7. And I had no idea that the following two days we'd be talking about the similar things. What did we talk about Sunday night? The end of all things is near. And through Scripture, you can go back and listen to that if you didn't catch it, that we have two ages. This age, the age to come, and at the coming of Christ onto His first advent here that started the last days. We're in the last days, and He says that the end is near. The coming, the end of all things is near. And we have this trumpet sound in Joel 2 saying the coming is near. So if you are discouraged, if you ever lose heart, if you ever wonder how long, know this, that God has promised that last trumpet. He's promised the last trumpet and it will blow. And it's nearer than what you think. The end of all things is near. The last trumpet will sound. We'll be gathered with Him to live with Him forever. And as we close that sermon on Sunday night, we say the same thing. So come, Lord Jesus. Just come. Let the trumpet sound and gather us to be with you. You see, this is the fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. It's, it's found in Christ, and it will find its ultimate fulfillment on the last day. So, yes, there's not a lot of verses that we read at the start, but there's a lot to this story. And I hope you can see that this is not a normal feast, just something that they just did. Like every other feast that's mentioned here, it's pointing to Christ. So I hope that we can come to this agreement. You know what I'm going to ask you. I hope you can agree with me. The Bible's better than what you've made it. And there's been more to the story.